If you'd um, like to turn in your Bibles this evening to Luke chapter 15, um, we'll be reading from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. We'll be looking tonight at uh, the Lord's Prayer in um, Matthew 6, but this is very relevant to what we're going to be looking at tonight. So it's the parable of the lost son or the, or the prodigal son. So that's Luke chapter 15. And we'll begin reading at verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like the one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment in any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood, with prostitutes you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's, uh, just before we, we turn to, if you'd just like to turn maybe in your, your Bibles to, to Matthew 6 and, and verse um, 9. Uh, perhaps we just read, the, read this, this passage. Um, so it's Matthew 6 uh, and 
verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's come to the Lord God uh, in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we're being found in in your house tonight, Lord. We we thank you for the privileges we have of coming here and being able to worship freely and openly. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless our time together tonight. Lord, we thank you that you have promised us where one or two are gathered together in your name, you are here in the midst. And Lord, we just pray that you will bless us with your presence this evening. Lord, we may, you may direct our thoughts, direct us, Lord, lead us. Lord, and we pray that you may speak to each one of us here. May not it not be the speaker, but you speaking to each one. Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray for any that cannot be here this evening for uh, various reasons. Lord, those that may be uh, ill would, would like to be here. Those that are away on holiday, Lord, we pray for, the, for them. That you will refresh, renew them and bring them back safely to us in due time. Lord, we just, uh, Lord, commit all these things to you now. We ask it in our dear Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Over the summer, there was an article in the Times which uh, grabbed my my attention. Um, Forgive me for reading. um, If you read another newspaper, forgive me for that. Uh, It's not often to pick up a newspaper. But the heading of it was this. Young have more faith in prayer than the old. And it goes on to say, young adults are more likely than older generations to pray, the Church of England has found, thanks to a growing interest in mindfulness and meditation. A survey of 2,000 adults found that 48% had prayed in their lifetimes and 28% in the past month. More than half, aged 18 to 34, said they had prayed at some point, including a third who had prayed in the previous month. And then it it summarises. In an age where mindfulness and meditation are more popular than ever, prayer makes sense to people. And with pressures mounting and people facing huge uncertainty, many are drawing strength from God in prayer. Now, I, I don't know whether the findings of of 2,000 surveys is going to be enough to prove definitively that the young pray more than the old, or vice versa. However, what I do find encouraging is that um, it doesn't matter what generation, on a human level, we are more than just emotional or physical beings. We have a spiritual dimension as well. We're not some ape-like creature that's nearing the end of an evolutionary journey. Praise God for that. We are spiritual beings made in the image of God. And prayer is the communication, it's 
a vertical, if you like, connection with our creator, our intelligent designer. Prayer is a special access, a wonderful intercession between God and mankind, the subject of his creation. What's clear is that for the believer or the unbeliever, I think it, it, prayer satisfies that longing for peace, tranquility. It fills a void and emptiness that the world, um, with the world so increasingly uncertain, with war, rumours of wars, family breakdown and conflict, cost of living pressures, and many young people are finding solace in, in prayer. That's, a, that's obviously a, a wonderful thing, even as some parliamentarians would like to legislate on banning prayer. We see um, that prayer is still as vitally important even to those who perhaps at this point are unbelievers. I'd like to continue in our, in our series that we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer this evening, the greatest of all prayers, and we come this evening to the, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, and it's found in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I'd like to split our message into two parts. The first part is forgiven forgiven and part two is forgiving forgiven and forgiving and just by way of context and a reminder we've seen in previous evenings how in the christian life there's nothing more important nothing more difficult than to establish a pattern of um of of prayer and a fruitful prayer life and the lord's prayer is our foundational prayer the prayer is the very bedrock of all of our prayers and the base for our basis for our prayer life and everything that the bible teaches about prayer is con- condensed into these 36 words in that we find in the lord's prayer and we saw also that in luke's gospel these words were given immediately after jesus had finished praying commentators have suggested that he was in the mount of olives because that's somewhere where he had frequently went to to pray but we're not sure of that um oh, but that would have been in Bethany, uh, in Judea. But you'll remember on the, this occasion in Matthew, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was in, teaching to people in Galilee. And he taught the Lord's Prayer as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And, the, and these, as we find all the way through the Gospels, these accounts are entirely um, compatible, entirely um, uh, agree with each other. And we must be um, careful, a note of caution about how we, the use of the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther, he was not one to mince his, his words, he called the Lord's Prayer the greatest martyr on earth. Why did he say that? Well, that's because it's so frequently used without thought, without feeling, reverence, consideration or faith. All of us here, I think, looking around, most of us, without, almost without exception, would have recited the Lord's Prayer as part of our school assembly. And uh, perhaps if, we, if we've come from Church of England, we would have, we would have done the same in, in, in worship. Now, well, to be clear, memorising parts of the Bible is, is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to remember parts and recall parts and passages of the Bible. Um, it can greatly help us in our spiritual journey and in our, in our spiritual lives. So the point um, here is that the intention is, is not that the, the prayer should be repeat, mindlessly repeated over and over. It's said with thoughtfulness and in faith. And I hope that's, that we've seen so far that when we've looked at this, we've, we've made that 
made that a point as we've looked at this so far um, in our studies. So as we um, come now to verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, um, I think, think, considering this over the last week or two, this is, this is one of the most difficult parts, I think, of the Lord's Prayer to put into, into practice and into reality. Even perhaps for mature seasoned believers, we can find comfort in, in Christ, of course, in, in him forgiving us. However, it's true that um, for us um, to know true forgiveness ourselves, we have to also forgive others uh, completely who have sinned against us. And that's not easy sometimes. Perhaps we'll say that's, hard, that's easier said than it is done. But we're told to, we must. Uh, we must, it's not an optional extra to forgive others. We must forgive others. In Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, we read, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't think it really could be any clearer. And even as I prepared for this message, I found what this is a challenge um, to myself. Are there things which I've not forgiven others for, no matter how trivial? We have long memories sometimes as Christians and are slow to forgive others. Um, although this is taught here exactly what we must do by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll come on to that a little later on. So, uh, forgiven. The first thing I think we, we, rec- we need to recognise, if we are to know forgiveness, as we consider these verses, is that, and it may sound obvious, but we are all sinners. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. If we, have, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First of John 1, verse 8. This is some um, original sin. Uh, it's total depravity, if you remember the TULIP acronym. And if we learn it that way, uh, it's the first of those five uh, in that acronym. Well, yes, you may say, yes, I am. I agree with that. I'm, I'm a sinner, absolutely. But if we've been forgiven once and for all by the faith in the Lord Jesus, why is there any need for forgiveness afterwards? Why do we need to pray to forgive our, um, us our sins? And the answer is this, that when we become a Christian, sin is not it's sort of suddenly zapped from our lives. Sin, um, it no longer reigns in our lives, it no longer rules us, but it still remains. And there is an ongoing battle with sin. Day by day, uh, we have to fight against sin. If we let sin take root, it will destroy our relationships ultimately with God. And many have been damaged, and perhaps we know other, many have been damaged by the consequences of, of sin. We were reminded that, weren't we, on Sunday, those of you who are here on Sunday morning, how we need to say um, no to sin. The Puritans talked of our um, ongoing, uh, they talked of a mortification of, of the flesh, literally putting to de- sin to, to death in our lives. And, Cal- and Calvin also spoke of a continual repentance, need for, for continually repenting of our, of our sins. Alistair Begg says this, One day we look forward to being taken to heaven. And when we are in heaven, we will be saved from sin's presence. For there will be no sin in heaven, nor the possibility of sin. It will be a radically different experience. But now living in the presence, present, we are being saved from sin's power. 
And then debts, what does that mean, debts? Well, it literally means, of course, sin. Our trespasses is the, what we've been used to reciting. And we'll notice that this must be done daily. Give us, in verse 11, we read, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and our, forgive our debtors. Um, if we are all, we're all sinners, we sin daily. So what do we do about it? We have it here. We're, we're to ask and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, ask, we, we have it here plainly, ask for forgiveness for our sins. We are to, call, to keep short accounts with God. So what is a debt? It's an obligation to pay. Um, recently, we bought an air fryer, as you do. <laughs> um, and uh, we, um, we're, we're going to make four monthly payments to pay for, for it in its entirety. Um, so we're going to be in debt to that, for that item until the fourth payment, when we will have um, fully paid it, and the debt will then be cleared. And so it is with sin. The obligation is for perfect obedience. Can any of us do that? Of course we can't. None of us. Um, uh, none of us. So that debt for our sins is something that we can never ever pay. We can never pay that debt. So how wonderful it is then that we have a saviour. He came down to this earth. He lived in, a, in perfect, in perpetual, continual obedience. He paid that debt that's for our place. As Christian believers, we never need to pay it. It's cleared the account of every single Christian believer. Uh, we, we read here, forgive us our sins. The message of the Christian gospel is of repentance and faith, the forgiveness of sins. Have you noticed how other, other religions, they're often called the isms, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, Sikhism, there's something uh, there that, um, that you have to do to clean yourself up, to do better, to work harder, uh, to do more. However, Christianity is a message for the lost. It's for the unworthy, the unclean, the sinful. God has shown mercy to a poor lost sinner, just as you and I, and has wiped that slate clean, made us sons and daughters of the Most High God, and clothed us in his righteousness forever. And there's an incredible picture of forgiveness in the parable of the prodigal son, and that's why I chose to read that. Having asked for all of his inheritance, the son went off to a far land, and he spent all his money in riotous living. He spent every single penny, all of it, so he had to find work uh, to looking after the pigs to, to just feed himself. And he realised after, after a time that even his father's servants were looked after much, far better than he uh, was. So he set off on that long journey home. And when his father saw him, he was overjoyed. He put on him in the best robes, put a ring on his finger and he prepared a feast for him. His son was lost and he's now found. So it is with us. If we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness, he is more than willing to forgive us. It's in the words of the Scottish theologian, the prodigal returned to his father, not primarily because he was driven by a guilty conscience, but because he was drawn by the hope of mercy. It was that hope of mercy, it was the prospect of forgiveness that enabled the man to face his predicament and say, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Then he discovered that all of the benefits and blessings, if you like the gospel, were showered upon him freely as a result of God's grace. So we, we can say, Lord, forgive us our sins. 
So every day we sin, even during this week so far, we've sinned. If we consider everything we've done this week to date, not one of us here can claim that we've made a success of our Christian life, have we? Every saint is indeed a failing saint. Perhaps there's a thought, a wrong, impure thought that's come to our mind. We can think of words that we've said, perhaps we, we shouldn't, and perhaps things we haven't said that we should. We sin every day, and so every day we are to pray, forgive us our debts. Listen to what uh, Rosiah Butterfield says in, in if you've read um, Openness Unhindered. She provides a unique insight into uh, to sin, and let's see what she says about this here. Many people reject the full understanding of sin, original, actual, and indwelling, because it is credited with causing shame and undue emotional duress. Where is the grace in a gospel that calls my deepest desires and most primal sense of self-sin? An orthodox understanding of sin has been credited with causing PTSD, depression, self-harm and suicide among other tragedies. But this is not the way that God orchestrates believers to experience repentance. Repentance is how grace flows to the humble heart, James 4 verse 6. Repentance feels like God lifting the weight of conflict off of your shoulders. It feels freeing to finally see what you did not see before and liberating to release the anger and shame and self-defensiveness that sin always requires. Repentance of sin is an honour that adorns royalty. It is a full expression of Christian liberty and through the Lord's forgiveness, repentance rings one singular note, peace. That's our first instinct, isn't it? To try harder, to do better. The devil would suggest the answer is penance. Do a bit better next time, work a bit harder, try a bit more. However, this is not God's first interest to try harder. It's for us to repent deeply of the sin there is to go and ask him for forgiveness. We go to the Lord every day, and that is what, what is to characterise us, a repentant spirit. And this is what we are taught here in the Lord's Prayer, uh, that spirit. Why? Because any sin we've committed is anticipated and dealt with by the Lord Jesus on the cross. The Christian life is going to the cross, to Calvary, because even the most condemned person will find cleansing and comfort there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 verse 9. So we come to the, the second part of verse 12. We come from uh, the forgiven to the forgiving. As we forgive our debtors. The forgiven person is also the forgiving person. It's not the other way round. Some people seem to think we cause God to forgive us as a result of our forgiving. In other words, forgive us our sin as because we've forgiven everyone who sins against us. It's not our forgiveness of others that earns us the right to be forgiven. It's as John Stock puts it, rather that God forgives only the penitent and the one of the chief evidences of someone who has truly repented of their sins is a forgiving spirit. So when I harbour enmity and hold grudges against others, not only am I eroding my own life and jeopardising relationships around me, quite frankly I call into question whether I've discovered the true nature of forgiveness myself. So, uh, it reads, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
when we truly consider the enormity of our offence against God, then the injuries that others inflict on me actually appear relatively insignificant by comparison. You remember the parable of the unforgiving servant. When Peter asked the Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother who sins against me? Um, uh, and that can be applied to us. How long do I have to keep forgiving my wife or my husband? That person in the office doing the same thing over and over again. How many times? Seven or 70? Jesus says, how about 77 times? Actually, what he means is a number that we, we can't even calculate, that it's even impossible to reach. So Lord Jesus goes on uh, in that, to tell the parable of the king who sought to settle all of his debts. And one of the servants came to him and said, I can't pay that, I can never pay that, I can't pay that debt. Be, please be patient with me and I'll pay that debt back. And the king had compassion on him and forgave him uh, that debt. And the fact of the matter is the debt was so vast that the, the man would never, if he'd pay, tried to pay it off all of his life, he'd never be able to fully pay it off. Um, so the only hope that he had, which was what he discovered, was um, the, the servant's master took pity on him and cancelled all, all the debt and let him go. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying that it's inconceivable that we who've been for, forgiven much, a vast debt, should ever fail to forgive that debt that we encounter as a result of what others have done to us. Will I, having been forgiven so much, refuse to forgive another so little? I mean, can I really say I know the forgiveness of God, the eradication of the vastness of my own offence? Can I truly say I understand the forgiveness of, of that if I refuse to forgive the trivial offences against me? Not that all the offences against me might be trivial, but it's to say in comparison against um, what we've committed before God. Um, a couple of years ago on the BBC uh, News, there was um, a report on a former drug dealer, Leroy Smith, who went to prison after shooting a police officer in Brixton in 1994. When he was released um, from jail, he wrote a book about his experiences. His victim, a PC James Seymour, read it and decided to forgive the man who shot him. August 2020, the, the men were reunited and returned to the place where the shooting happened 20 years after the event. The convicted criminal was absolutely flabbergasted that this police officer should ever forgive him. Acts of forgiveness like this are rare and surprising, and that's why we sometimes see them mentioned in the news. And this police officer happens to be someone that's known by our family. Now, it's OK, it's not that someone was arrested by the police officer and put into prison, it's not that, it's uh, my father's cousin. And I have vague recollections of this event when I was um, about 14 years old, and if I remember correctly, the officer was left fighting for his life and only spared because the bullet closely uh, just missed his vital organs. Now, as far as I'm aware, he never made an open profession of faith. His father was a pastor in Australia, but of course that doesn't make him a Christian. But he had it in him to forgive this criminal of the crimes against him. And how much more should we as Christians be willing to forgive others who have sinned against us? I just want to leave uh, you with what words that Alison Begg wrote, um, which, which I think are, are, really, are really challenging. I just want to leave you with this challenge. One of the major hindrances, I might even be prepared to say, major hindrance to blessing in our churches, in our families, and in our personal relationships is the absence of the practice of forgiveness. 
If you or I neglect the exercise of forgiveness, we will very soon lose our enjoyment of God's pardon. So in conclusion, a prayer, I hope we've all been encouraged, prayer remains a vital part of who we are, made in the image of God. Just as the older generation have turned to prayer in times of war and conflict and trouble, the younger generation also see the vital importance of prayer. Despite the backdrop of, of growing hostility in a secular society, and the Lord's Prayer is the greatest prayer of all. It teaches us so much, and it should be the basis of our pattern of prayer life as Christian believers. Forgiveness and the gospel is at the heart of this prayer. And as we look to Calvary and the forgiveness of all our sins there, we are reminded that the effect of sin has been dealt with, but it still remains. And forgiveness, we have been shown, we follow the example in a forgiving spirit to others. And we're in continual repentance until one day in heaven there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. Let's end with that wonderful promise in Romans uh, verse eight, chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Amen.